Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Happy holidays, my friends, and welcome to episode 99 of the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Hey, uh, this week we're having a sit down with writer, mom, and superhero Karina Lawson. It's a lot of fun, and it's coming up here in just a few minutes, so stay tuned for that. You don't want to miss it. Well, thank you for tuning in, and uh, especially I want to thank all of you who listen week in, week out. Thank you for your patience these last few weeks. Uh, you know, I, I haven't been able to maintain a the previous schedule and making sure that the episodes come out every Tuesday like they normally would, but you know, with uh, my own schedule and then the holidays being upon us, everybody's schedule is equally as hectic and it's been it has been a little crazy trying to get things put together but here we are at 99 episodes and making big plans for the future coming up in 2020 oh my gosh i have a lot of good plans a lot of things uh lined up already and uh even even some really great interviews already scheduled so it's gonna be a we've got a we've got a big year ahead of us and uh, of course episode 100 coming up here in just a couple of days that is being done as we speak so yes it could be it may be friday december 20th hey it's my parents anniversary (laughs) 50th anniversary happy anniversary to my mom and dad wow i just realized what day it was but uh yeah so it may be december 20th but uh just coming up here in a few days on uh, tuesday december 24th that is Christmas Eve. We're going to have episode 100, the big extravaganza with giveaways and a few guest spots. It's going to be, that's going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned for that. And, uh, you know, I think first, let's, uh, rather than uh, talk a whole lot about me or other things this week, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, what do you say I just give a shout out to our sponsors? Of course, I want to begin with our longtime sponsor, Ustorall. If you are in the market for self-storage and you're in the uh, Orangeburg, Missouri area, perhaps you're moving into the area for college or military, look no further than you store all. With two facilities completely fenced in, they offer climate control and non-climate control. You get your own personal gate code that is randomly generated through their computer and they have over 60 cameras recording 24 hours a day. So check them out online at ustoreall.net. That's spelled the letter U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L dot net. And then, of course, I want to thank my other sponsor and favorite writing tool, Scribner. Wow, they've been with us for almost a year now, and it's been a beautiful relationship. I, I love their software. I use it every day for my writing. I have both the iOS app on my phone and I have the desktop version for my computer and laptop and it's all backed up to a cloud so no matter where I'm writing there's my chapter my most recent chapter right there whenever I open it up and let me tell you it's it's incredible just having all of my research there in the left hand pane all my chapters are broken up where I can easily go from one chapter to another I can move things around pull up my character information places it's all right there where you want it so Make sure you click the link in the show notes to find out more about them. And don't forget to listen to their ad coming up here in just a moment 
and uh, hear how you can save 20% on your own regular desktop version. And of course, I want to make sure and thank my friends over at popgoesaculture.com, Joey Mills and the gang with that podcast network out of Springfield, Missouri. They are a lot of fun. And man, I tell you what, they, they have a bunch of podcasts, including their namesake show, Pop Goes to Culture Podcast. And let me tell you, they, they, they get some fantastic interviews on there every once in a while. They had the stars of Cobra Kai on this past year. Uh, most recently, they had some people from, uh, I think it was the DC Universe. Uh, yeah, I, I have to admit, I'm not very familiar with that, but, but I do know the Cobra Kai. So anyway, check them out as well. Click the link in the show notes for Pop Goes to Culture and all the different uh, podcasts that are there. Lots of fun, uh, again, podcasts and blogs and other information. So check them out. Well, as I said, this week we are speaking with Karina Lawson. She is a multi-genre author, uh, writing in sci-fi, fantasy, romance, and uh, steampunk. Lots of great things. We had a really fun time. Uh, talking and you know speaking of hectic schedules oh my gosh uh, Karina and I had quite the time getting connected in the first place just setting up the right time and uh, you know I'm talking about like weeks of trying to go back and forth you know back since before Thanksgiving you know and I'll tell you what was really neat was that uh, to begin with she was helping me get set up with another interview that we did with uh, with Natanya Barron uh, yeah, Karina actually was was uh, recommending that she go first, and that was really cool. But yeah, uh, Karina was was awesome. Uh, we talked about you know enjoying yourself and your writing, uh, her love of Batman and comics in general, and how growing up with all that kind of uh, comic book history, how that's kind of informed her her writing today. And let me tell you, whenever she begins to read her from one of her books, that that reading. That chapter reading leaves you wanting more, and it's it's a lot of fun. I can't wait to get us over there to that. Oh, yeah, and don't forget, whenever uh, you're going to hear about all this anyway, but don't forget to also get on over to uh, her, uh, her website that she co-started, geekmom.com. I got to tool around there for a little while after the show, and uh, wow, just lots of great stuff in there, so. But anyway, you're going to hear about that here in just a moment. So first, let's get over to a word from our sponsor, Scrivener, and then our interview with Karina Lawson. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Happy holidays, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. This week, we are going up onto the Far East Coast, which 
from what I understand, is about to get hit with a storm that came through here in Missouri just the other day. So we are speaking with Karina Lawson. Karina is a former newspaper reporter with a degree in journalism from Boston University, a mom of four. She now works from home writing romance novels with a geeky twist as a sci-fi and fantasy blogger for Barnes & Noble and is a founding editor of GeekMom.com. Karina, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure, my pleasure. How is the weather up there? Have you gotten hit yet? Well, we got hit with uh, freezing rain yesterday that froze overnight, so that's been fun. Uh, <laughs> the weirdest thing happened today. All of a sudden, like, the sky got dark, and we were in the middle of a whiteout for, like, 15 minutes, and then it vanished. And, oh, wow. Uh, and, I mean, I grew up in Vermont, so I've seen a lot of weather, but that was just weird. i never <laughs> seen anything like that. I, I learned a lesson in telling my family what the weather will or won't do because I'm always proved wrong. And I had told them, like, oh, no, it's not going to snow until later in the afternoon, and we wake up to snow. And then I said, well, it's not supposed to be that bad, so it'll be all right. And it got bad. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to shut up about the weather from now on, I think. I'm not going to tell anybody. <laughs> well, tell us about GeekMom.com. What is that? Well, um, GeekMom sort of started spontaneously. Um, GeekDad.com was unwired um, and was founded over there. Um, but I think a fellow who's the, who was a former executive editor over there and our current publisher, Ken, and he was always uh, very keen on having a lot of uh, women write for the site. And eventually there got to be enough of us. We said we should have uh, geekmom.com. And so we're a, basically, there's about 20 to 30 of us. Uh, four of us founded the site. And we, our idea is to take moms who are geeky about something <laughs> and give them a platform to share, uh, to share their geekdoms. Um, so it's kind of very collaborative. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a great community to be involved in. And, um, we thought about sort of merging with Geek Dad at one point, and you can see our sites kind of, we share some articles via site, but right now, with the way things are in geekdom, there's still some sort of unique challenges and unique experiences women, especially moms, have in geekdom, so we've, we've kept Geek Mom as a separate entity to reflect that. Well, that's really cool, though, still, I mean, and it's something I can appreciate, because like my my wife is retired military and even though I served too for a couple of years people still look at me when they hear that we're retired military they they look immediately at me and go oh how long did you serve and i'm like yeah you want to talk to this this <laughs> right over here she had a much longer career and will kick your butt anyway. well in fact one of our uh, one of our editors is actually active military active duty military oh, so wonderful. Okay. So, and she's great. So. <laughs> well, now how long how long has this been going on at Geek Mom? Um, I want to say seven or eight years. Oh wow! So we started off on Wired. Um, there was an intellectual property uh, discussion. They wanted to own our articles, uh, completely with all rights. And uh, I don't know how many people are that up on intellectual property, but. Basically, you don't you want to get paid for your intellectual property, and uh, mm -hmm. they were paying our bloggers, I think, ten dollars a an article, and they wanted to write 
to own all the rights everywhere. So we decided it'd be better to be independent than letting Condé Nast have everything. So. <laughs> well, tell me about about your writing, because I know you had I know you've got a degree in journalism with with Boston, and uh, you've got some romance novels and and some others. Where did you start off writing? Well, the funny thing is, I always wrote as a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the internet. I'm showing my age here a little bit. If the internet had existed when I was a kid, oh my God, the fan fiction I would have written. <laughs> I cannot tell you. It would probably have been Lord of the Rings fan fiction too. It's like lots of it. Cause I even did a couple of stories, uh, about that. And John Christopher's, uh, tripod series. Ooh, that, that I would have written more <laughs> fanfic. Um, but I didn't think there was a lot of, uh, there didn't seem to be a clear c- career path for writing fiction. Um, so I went into journalism, which I'd loved because Lois Lane, I saw her on TV and I was yeah. like, oh, wait a minute. That's a woman who's not a nurse and not a teacher. Nothing against those things. Those things are awesome, mm-hmm. but those things were not what I wanted to be. And there didn't seem to be a lot of other choices. And then I saw Lois Lane and I thought, oh, she has a really cool job. I want that job. So, um, I went to school for journalism, um, got a degree at Boston University, although for two years, I was at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy before that. Okay. Well, good for you for reaching out and, and doing that because there's, there's a lot of us, myself included, who didn't reach for the, my, you know, like my dreams of writing until I was much older. So, but, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I do remember those days before the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, I mean, my daughter eventually went on to write fanfic. And then, um, you know, after I had kids – very difficult to work and have four kids uh, outside the home anyway. And then journalism has changed so much. Um, I started writing fiction for fun and I didn't grow up reading romance. And I started writing just sort of like a banter mystery thing. And people were like, oh, that's a really cool romance. And I'm like, wait, no, I don't write romance. <laughs> romance is like, you know, sappy and all that, but apparently I did. And, you know, and I have to say my preconceptions about romance were just so wrong. The romance community and the romance writing community is amazing. Uh, the romance readers are amazing and it's such a cross section of people. There is even a uh, group of romance writers, um, who are former military or active duty military. Hmm. Um, uh, one of the science fiction romance writers, she's is pilot for United, uh, former Air Force. So, you know, there's just so many, and I bring that up because we were talking about service. So, you know, it's just a fascinating community. So I ended up sort of melding my love of really geeky things, um, with sort of a romance angle. Um, my Phoenix Institute series is, owes a lot to the X-Men. Because mm-hmm. I grew up reading the Chris Claremont, John Byrne X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I hate to tell people, but that is so soap opera romance. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a soap opera. It's not actually – romance novels are very clear. You have to have a happily ever after at the end. And X-Men, of course, just goes on and on and on. And <laughs> as people live and die and get cloned and pulled out of time and everything. Um but I used a lot of my science fiction fantasy background when I started writing some romance. So though lately I've written uh, more urban fantasy okay. uh, style with some romantic elements to it. Um, I'm really interested in the relationships between people 
that doesn't always meld up uh, perfectly with romance um, because I'm also very interested in plot and concepts and um, or three person or more person play where you want the focus just on the relationship. Mm, so. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love this because you know, there's a lot of, a lot of authors that I talk to and authors that I know who stick with a certain genre. But this is this is really cool and inspiring, I hope, to other authors out there that will do like what you are, where you, it's, yep, you've got romance, here's steampunk, here's some sci-fi, uh, fantasy elements, and then even your, your geek mom book, uh, you know, you've got a wide variety, it's whatever you feel like, and that is really, really cool. Well, I think, especially with the publishing business as it is now, the only thing you can really guarantee as a writer is enjoying yourself while you're writing. So, mm. and if you're not enjoying yourself, it comes through in your work. So, I mean, I could go on about how to try to hit a trend right, so, and everything, but, you know, it's more of what you're drawn to write, and that keeps your love of the story, and that'll keep your writing beyond the point where you're trying to chase something that's hot right now. I know a lot of people wanted to write erotica for a long time, even before 50 shades, because erotica was one of the first erotic romance, I should say was one of the first, um, romance sub sub genres to do well in ebook form for our, I suppose, obvious reasons. You didn't mm-hmm. have to show anyone the cover, <laughs> um, you know, but eventually you know, that cycled out of, and if you'd just gone into erotic romance, um, to hit the wave, then you pretty much had no career afterwards, where if you really liked writing erotic romance, you would find ways to keep writing what you love. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's my belief. I haven't made a ton of money with it. Um, I know it's not something that happens in a day or even a year or even a decade sometimes for people. Yeah. Yep. So, you, I, like, I'm looking on here, you got your Seneca series, the Phoenix Institute series, Curse of the Brimstone Contract uh, what was what was one of your uh, early series? Which one of these came out first? The Seneca series, really. Um, I don't know how many sci-fi people are out there who remember this, but uh, S.P. Somtel had a series called the Aquila series, which is basically uh, Romans in North America, and they were done humorously, uh, as if the Roman Empire never fell. And I was hitting one of those periods of writing where I just, like, Felt like I was sitting, banging my head against the wall. So I'm like, let's have Romans and Vikings in North America, 900 AD. It'll be fun. <laughs> and and that that was what I started with. I started, and you know, it's roughly sort of if you had the fall of the Roman Empire in Britain, which is there's a lot of Arthurian stuff written about that, and transferred it to a North American setting, roughly Albany, New York, and New York City. And um, what would happen then? And then you would have the Vikings who have a sort of society that's much more uh, female friendly than is generally believed. And you have the Native American tribes who are matriarchal. And then you have the patriarchal Romans. Um, So it seemed like the whole clash of cultures could be a lot of fun. But it always started with a character. And that's that's the the former Roman assassin slave who wanted to start a new life. That was inspired by Lois McMaster Bujold, who was the first science fiction writer I read, who wanted to, who wrote a character, Cordelia Naismith for Kosigan, who also wanted to be a mom. So, and I thought, wow, I have 
rarely seen that in science fiction. So my character also wants a family and wants a mom, but of course she's got to go through a war to get to it. So. Oh my goodness, that sounds incredible. I'm gonna to have to check that out. I think. Well, what what about your uh, your steampunk series here, The Curse of the Brimstone Contract? What is this? About? Well, someone challenged me to write a Sherlock Holmes story, and I'm like, oh, I love Sherlock Holmes, but, uh, and they're like a steampunk, and I'm like, wait, steampunk Sherlock Holmes? That was the general idea, although it is not. I should have eaten my words because you can't just <laughs> write a Sherlock Holmes story and steampunk it up. You actually have to create a really valid, careful steampunk world um, before you know what world your characters are inhabiting. Um, and so I had to find out why steam technology took over, what uh, London would look like in this alternate time period, and, you know, where my characters would be. And I knew right away I wanted a female uh, in those sort of Watsonian role. So, And I was also inspired by a comic book by Mark Wade. Uh, called Ruse, R-U-S-E, and it was basically a magical alternate world version of, of uh, Sherlock Holmes. And uh, then I got writing, and I came up with the Holmes-style character first, and uh, then I came up with the world building, which is that magic was found, and the byproduct of using magic creates a special kind of what they call mage coal, uh, which burns hotter and longer than regular coal, which, of course, fueled the steam technology, but that led to a lot of class differences. Um, so I was really interested in exploring, well, what if you had this magical, cool thing that could bring energy to everybody? Would it be equally distributed? And the answer is, it would not. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, my my story is sort of about class differences and People who even have magical abilities, but they're suppressed because the nobles want to keep that knowledge to themselves. And, um, you know, and it, it's, it's a seamstress by trade and it's discovered she has um, magical abilities. And she goes to the Sherlock Holmes style character, uh, Gregor Sharonford, which is an Easter egg for Holmes fans, his last name. Oh, very and cool. uh, and um, he is sort of a misfit. Because he is also half Indian and half uh, white. And so he has sort of a, an angle on London uh, that the original homes might not have had, being sort of gentry. Okay. Oh, I like that very much. That seems to be, the, the steampunk seems to be a very popular thing here lately. I've seen that being crossed over into a couple other genres. Most recently I saw a steampunk noir uh, mix, yeah. which was really cool. So this is, yeah, this is really cool to see some steampunk. Well, this, I called mine the steampunk detective. So there's a mystery. And let me tell you, creating a mis a complicated mystery with red herrings <laughs> plus the steampunk, plus finding steampunk stuff that works into the mystery, it, it's challenging. It's challenging. Anybody can do it. It's, I am, my hat's off to you. <laughs> no, so. no doubt, no doubt. Well, your other series that's been, uh, I'm seeing a lot of books coming through there, it looks like, uh, The Phoenix Institute. Tell us about this. Well, as I said before, this is sort of my X-Men inspired. Mm -hmm. And I thought uh, a lot of romance writers focus on vampires or werewolves or shifters, um, sort of those types of characters in their romances. But nothing wrong with that. It's just not me. So I thought, well, I could write a paranormal romance, but what kind of paranormal people would I have? And I thought, well, superheroes, of course. <laughs> of course. 
Um, and so these are superheroes in the uh, style of sort of the X-Men. That's why the Phoenix Institute um, is a place where a young man who sort of has telekinesis and pyrokinesis and has been trained to be a weapon. And he's the main character that kicks everything off. And you're not quite sure if he's going to be a good guy or a bad guy at first, even though he's a really nice guy. Um, he's been trained by uh, the sort of Magneto of my world. Ah. So so um, who has sort of plans. But the powers are all based on different types of psychic abilities because I didn't want to get into the science involved in power rays or teleportation or whatnot. So um, his love interest in the first book, Beth, is a telepath. And then as we go through, we find out there's a class of immortals who basically have self-healing properties a la Wolverine. Um, there's a woman who walks through walls like Kitty because she controls her molecular structure psychically. And, um, you know, there's even a couple of normal humans in there. <laughs> yeah, you got to have some some regular people like ourselves in there here and there. <laughs> so, so the powers probably aren't unusual. Um, I th I don't think you can create a superhero power that hasn't been used before. Um, even in uh, uh, even in Astro City, he sort of picks and mixes and matches powers from various sources. Um, but each book is a separate couple, and then they have a happily ever after, and then I have a continuing story. Uh, basically, um, there's a villain on the other side of the world who um, basically wants to control things. And sort of more of the world building comes in as we get through each of the books. Oh, interesting. Okay. So as we add characters, we add the first couple and then the second and then the third. And the book I haven't written as yet, uh, because my publisher closed, uh, would sort of bring everything together in a big climax. Oh my goodness. Okay. No, now I'm hoping that there there is some hope for that uh, that conclusion. Yeah, I have it outlined. It's just a matter of uh publishing on my own. I'm waiting for a little bit more income stream from the newer books. Mm -hmm. Um it's hard uh you know, you want a good you want to make sure you have a good editor and you want to make sure you have a good cover designer and so you want I would rather wait and have all those things in place rather than write the book and put it up and have it not be quite as good as I want it to be or quite as good as it should be. Okay. Um, because I think all of us who have been waiting for a series conclusion would rather wait another year or two and have it be really good than have it come out and go, ugh. <laughs> yeah, you don't hello, want to. Game of, hello, Game of Thrones. <laughs> so. Yes, yes. Well, I and I I can speak from experience as somebody who – was just sick and tired of that book until finally I was like, okay, you know what? It's done. Put it out. And then mm -hmm. like the next day, my wife was uh, looking at it going like, oh my gosh, you printed this. <laughs> 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 oh, well, but uh, fortunately, you know, thank goodness for uh, Kindle. You can edit and put the, uh, the new oh, version yeah, up right you. away. Exactly. Because <clears throat> yeah, she found all my mistakes and we were working frantically there for a couple of days. <laughs> You know, I even um, when I did the Phoenix Institute, I actually fanficked myself with it um, because I had an idea with this very sort of wounded Wolverine style character. And it sort of it sort of involves BDSM and a lot of uh, 
a lot of very X-rated stuff, and I felt it didn't really suit the original character, so I just did a little quickie spin-off mm. uh, with it, and uh, it won a RWA, a Romance Writing Award last year. Uh, so I was like, yes, I can write this. <laughs> People like me. Very Sally, Sally Field reaction, but... <laughs> They really like me. <laughs> yay, yay. Uh, but, you know, I think you have to be careful when you set up readers for one expectation and then do something sort of, woo, you know, yeah. make a little bit. So I wanted to differentiate it from the rest of the series. So if you see Love's Inferno there, that's the standalone where I sort of fanfic the characters from Dark Inferno. Okay. But that's a that's a nice touch to it, to have a little – Side story, something that uh, is a standalone, but still within that world. Mm -hmm. That's always fun. That's always fun. And great that you can do that. So what what are you working on? Um, I'm working on a couple of different things. Um, I was working on something I had no name for. It's set in the 1920s um, in a world I actually borrowed a lot of the magical elements from my steampunk world, but it's set in 1920s America. And... Um, Things are not looking well. It's a, it's a female-led character who has sort of the ability to absorb magic and sort of disappear into the background. Mm -hmm. So she uh, um, and become invisible, but she's being hunted by people who want to use her because she makes a really good thief. And um, she accidentally sort of teaches someone the spell that uh, has endangered Houdini. So she has to go save Houdini. And I didn't have a name for it for the long time. Until I was talking to my agent and I said, you know, it's the Houdini Project. I'm like, oh, wait, that's a good name. <laughs> so I've been calling it the Houdini Project. And it's set in Detroit in the 1920s, a little bit of alternate world, a lot of magic, some steampunk stuff. Um, and I'm working on that right now. And I'm also working on a book. Oh, I wrote this. I don't want to tell you how long ago, but um, it was a journalist main character. Mm -hmm. Uh and um, I finally decided to set it in the 1980s. So she's my punk rock Lois Lane. Oh, very cool. So I'm working on a mystery series with that. There's some romance in that. My books are sort of, I like cross-genre stuff. So there's a lot, but um, I would sell this one as mystery rather than romance. So I haven't written a straight romance since Love's Inferno. Well, that was only last year. So okay. I guess that was recent. So yeah, I do hop around genres. Quite a bit. They'll tell you that that's not the way to do it and market yourself, but oops. <laughs> you know, but I, I see that every once in a while where somebody will have a series in a few genres. And as long as there's some consistency, I think you can do it and people will follow along. I think so. I think as long as people like your voice and your voice isn't just sort of the way you put words together. It's also sort of your worldview and the way you see things. And I think I, you can see it. Even just talking, you can see I was interested in the elements of the Seneca series mm -hmm. with a lot of culture differences, and that carried over to the steampunk world as well. And um, and again, we're in 1920s. You have a female main character, and there's a lot of strictures about what they can and can't do in society. Um, so, you know, I I keep coming back to the same themes, I think, and I think most writers will come back to very similar themes. Uh, despite differences in stories. I agree. I agree. Well, where can uh, where can people find and follow you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter is at Karina Lawson. It's Karina with two R's and one N. 
Um, I'm on Facebook uh, under the same name. Uh, you can find my website at Karina-Lawson.com. But if you just Google, just make sure you put the two R's in it. Um, and I'll pop up there. Um, you can find me at geekmom.com and all my Geek Mom articles there. And you can find my Barnes & Noble Sci-Fi Fantasy articles still up, but they just stopped hiring any freelancers. They let about 20 of us go. <sighs> oh, no. Freelance. <laughs> Freelance life. Yeah. Um, and I should, I should explain. My name is that my mom named me after a song called Karina Karina. Yeah. Which most people remember from the Whoopi Goldberg uh, movie. But uh, it's spelled two different ways on the record. And she picked the, mo- the one that is used least often. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. That's great. Well, we'll make sure and uh, we'll make it very easy. So everybody listening, click the links in the show notes. And you can get right on over to her website, the uh, Geek Mom all of that, we'll have it there in the show notes so everybody can uh, can just find and follow you. And, and, of course, head on over to Amazon, too, and pick up some of these yes. books. So. Yes, Amazon. A mm-hmm. uh, couple of them are on Kindle Unlimited. Those are the racy ones. Um, <laughs> so, uh, But you can read those for free if you're on uh, Love's Inferno and Carnal Blessing. So those are, those are the X-rated ones. <laughs> the rest of them are not. Uh, so make sure you're reading that somewhere safe so that if you blush in public, people don't wonder what you're doing. <laughs> All right. Well, Karina, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Well, uh, so we're going to hear from The Brightest Shade, the first in the Phoenix Institute. Anything we need to know ahead of time? Well, this um, I wrote a couple of novellas that are set in the same Phoenix Institute world, and this is the first of them. Um, if the main novels are sort of X-Men inspired, this was my idea of what would my Gotham City be like. And I love the Jim Gordon character, especially from Frank Miller's Year One and from I think Nolan series did a good job with him. And so he's my hero. Um, although he is, um, he's a, he's a black police officer in my series. And then of course the Batman style character who I call noir, um, is sort of the Batman type of character. So there is a romance, but there's also a pretty uh, grim mystery. And, um, so we start at a crime scene because it is a mystery. Okay. Well, I can't wait. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's my cue to step aside and hand the floor over to our wonderful guest, Corina Lawson with The Brightest Shade. Well, thank you so much. Chapter One. She was too late. Noir slipped silently past the police officers posted to guard the entrance to the bank. The revolving front door had been completely smashed. The door torn off at the hinges. Glass littered the floor. She stepped carefully, hoping not to slice her feet. Once inside, she nearly lost her nerve. The bank branch was a relic of better days in Charlton City, decorated with cathedral ceilings, a marble floor, and ornate wood carvings. All that was eclipsed by the blood and the bodies. She counted three people sprawled in various positions, their heads and limbs askew, their faces frozen in shock or pain. It looked like they'd been tossed aside like ragdolls. Jack had definitely been there. No one else had that kind of strength or that kind of rage. She swallowed back vile. They couldn't see her, of course. But they could definitely hear her. She had best stay hidden. 
Once settled behind the counter, she heard voices. She peeked out and saw that two plainclothes police officers, badges displayed on their belts, had entered the bank. They stopped in the entranceway, perhaps experiencing the same shock as she had. They looked left. She followed their gazes and wished she hadn't. She'd missed seeing one victim who was off to the left and at the base of the wall. The victim's torso was located several feet from the pile of his arms and legs. Noir dropped her head between her knees, feeling sick again. After several deep breaths, she forced herself to look to sear the images into her memory. This is what she'd worked so hard to prevent. And if she couldn't find Jack, it would happen again. She noted the dismembered victim was dressed in a police-style uniform. The bank guard, Noir guessed, Jack had always hated cops. A bank guard would have been close enough to stoke his anger. But why had Jack gone into a bank so publicly? He was so noticeable. Noir saw a six-inch steel door turn off its hinges. Beyond it was a vault. Maybe Jill needed the money. If only Noir could tell someone her story, but who would believe her? Noir glanced over at a calendar on the empty desk beside her. The last day she was truly clear about had been five years earlier, the day Jill had taken her into the clinic. And even with the memory loss and the ordeal at Jill's hands, she was still better off than the people who had gotten in Jack's way today. She shivered and hugged herself, seeking more than physical warmth. After recovering from her escape, she'd been focused only on finding Jack to stop him. She hadn't been able to save these people. Some fucking detective she was. She needed help. Hi, this was done by a monster who only listens to his mad scientist doctor's sister. Yeah, the next move of whoever heard that would be to send her off to the psych ward, not to look for Jack. If they even believed she wasn't just a damned disembodied voice or a figment of their imagination. Shoes crunching over glass caught her attention as someone stepped into the bank. The two plainclothes officers turned at the sound of the newcomer's arrival. Noir peered around the edge of the teller's counter, allowing her to see the entire bank lobby. Well, if it ain't, detective fix it, said the balding older officer. The new arrival didn't even acknowledge the jab. Like Noir, he was transfixed by the carnage. No, she admitted, not transfixed. He walked the scene in deliberate, slow steps, stopping only to kneel before the victim, just as she'd done. Fixit wore an unbuttoned, oversized tan overcoat that exposed a white dress shirt and tie underneath. All three were rumpled, as if he'd just gotten out of bed or had never gone to sleep. His shoes were scuffed and might have been black ones, but they were gray now. Yet the clothes were at odds with his grim and determined manner. As he came closer, she could see his face. It wasn't a pretty face, but it was definitely a strong face. Chiseled features, intense eyes, and a jaw clenched in what she guessed was anger. An old-school kind of guy, Noir guessed, though he didn't seem older than his mid-thirties. Detective Fixit. She wondered how he'd earned that nickname. A man in a business suit rushed in through the ruined doorway and grabbed Detective Fixit's arms before the other two cops could stop him. Lieutenant, you have to find him, the suit said. Sir, Fixit said, take a deep breath and tell me what you mean. His words were careful and precise and seemed to have a calming effect on the panicked man. I'm the manager of the bank. One of our tellers is missing, he gulped for air. I thought we accounted for everyone, even... He took a deep breath and looked down at the floor. We even accounted for the dead, but I just talked to my people outside and one teller is definitely missing. Noir hoped the missing man wasn't dead somewhere in the carnage of overturned desks, smashed counters, and broken tables. The lieutenant turned to the other police officers. Do you have the bank video logs yet? Not yet, Lieutenant James, the younger plainclothes officer shook his head. First, we made sure to get all the employees out and secure everything for forensics. Then we were going to look for those. Lieutenant James nodded. So that was his name. He outranked the other officers. She could see why. She ran hostility from the older cop, and yet he still commanded the crime scene. 
Sir, Lieutenant James said to the bank manager, where's your video surveillance feed? The manager pointed to an overturned desk on the right, back against the wall. That was his station, Casey's station. He saw the bloody torso of the security guard and put a hand over his mouth. You can go outside now, sir, James said. We'll do what we can to find your missing teller. While you're waiting, gather up all you can about his employment and personal history and give a description to the detectives outside, please. But that's all on file here, he gestured at the mess, indicating the futility of finding anything in destruction. You had branches, duplicate records, yes, James asked. The manager nodded. Then tell the personnel people there to get the files over here ASAP if you want to find your missing employee. Also, tell me the password on your guard's computer. The manager nodded, said something that Noir guessed was the password, and scurried out the door again. He was calmer now because Lieutenant James had given him a job to do. James shook his head and cursed as he walked over to the overturned security desk. Officers, over here, I need to lift this. That's disturbing the crime scene, isn't it? muttered the balding officer. Without these videos, we don't have a cheap clue who or what we're looking for, James said. Eyewitness accounts say it was a damn monster. Now, do you want to rely on those panic reports, or do you want to do your job and see what really killed these people? The balding officer said no more and followed James's instructions. James, who I noticed, picked up one half of the desk himself, while the balding officer had help from his partner. They held it several inches above the floor as the younger officer kicked the CPU of the security guard's computer out from where it had been pinned. James must have some kind of muscles under those rumpled clothes, Noir mused, because he held up his end without effort. As soon as the CPU was free and clear, they set the desk down. The balding officer had sweat running down his face and was puffing out breaths. James hadn't even taken off his overcoat. He hooked up the CPU to a monitor and the keyboard lying nearby on the floor. Sure that'll work, asked the younger officer. Never know, James said. It'll save time to watch it here. He plugged it in. Noir crept closer and saw the green light and the CPU come on. How about that? The thing worked even after it had been tossing around. She padded to hide behind a tipped-over desk that offered her a good view of the monitor. She had to see. James ordered the balding officer outside to get the description of the missing bank employee. Noir had a feeling he wanted to get rid of him. James tapped on the keyboard, had to go through a startup, and quickly brought up the video feed. He turned to look at the other officer. How long have you been in homicide? The younger man swallowed. A month? If you think the mess in here is bad, the video is going to be worse. You could go outside and take eyewitness statements with the others. No, the younger man straightened his shoulders. This is part of the job. Suit yourself, James shrugged and hit enter. Noir wished she'd gone outside as James urged the officer. Watching Jack in action was as bad as her foggy memory recalled. At first, he'd only been bent on destruction, crashing through the doors, ignoring the people, and had gone straight for the vault. A woman had stumbled in his way. Jack had backhanded her against the wall hard. Two of the tellers had been similarly slow in moving out of the way and had met the same fate. The video sound was turned to mute. Perhaps James didn't want the screams of his victims to distract him from observing what happened. Noir could see the fear and panic on the faces of the people in the bank as they realized they were dealing with a force of nature. Someone rushed out the door and there was quickly a panic to get away as Jack sprang over the teller's counter and tore the vault door off its hinges. He'd not been that strong before. His monstrous body must have changed again, or Jill had changed it. The bank guard had been brave enough to shoot at Jack as he came out of the vault with jewels and sacks of cash. Jack shrugged off the bullets, set his load down, and tore the guard apart. Mercifully, the guard's face went slack after the first arm had been torn off. Maybe he'd never felt the rest of it. It was nice to think so. The plainclothes detective put his hand to his mouth. 
James chopped his arms. Puke outside, kid. The detective ran outside, presumably to lose his lunch all over the sidewalk. James let the video run, catching the moment where Jack grabbed a young man cringing in the doorway. He tossed the bank employee over one shoulder, held his loot in the other, and went out back the way he'd come. James paused the video on an image of Jack's face. How the hell do I fight something like that, he mumbled. Where the hell did you go, monster? He put his hands on the ruined desk and pushed himself upright as if it took effort. He stared over the dead bank guard. Poor son of a bitch, James muttered. He ran his hand through his must hair, took a deep breath, and headed outside. Noir followed him at a safe distance. This had to be the guy who would help her, if she could get him to believe her story. Wow. All right. Well, that was Karina Lawson reading an incredible first chapter from The Brightest Shade. That is from the Phoenix Institute series, and it is available right now. Uh, click the link in the show notes for more about Karina and her series, as well as her uh, her multiple other series that she has. Don't forget to also click the links in the show notes for our sponsors and friends alike, and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out. Actually, next week's not a new author. It's our episode 100. So hit subscribe and come on back for more. We'll see you again real, real soon. <laughs>